we go. Well, this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time in the book of Philippians. I want to talk to you about something that's um, come to my attention as of late about names. See, one of the many things I've realized this week is that names are important. Really, one of the earliest points of, of self-awareness is a recognition within us of our own name. If I think back to my earliest memories, I can't recall that specific point in my childhood development where I learned that my name is Stephen. It simply has always been a part of me. I'm sure you feel the same way about your own name. You don't know exactly when you learned that it was your name. You just, at some point, recognized that when somebody said your name, they were speaking to you. It's always been a part of me. If I want to get really spiritual about it, I might say that I have always been Stephen even before my name was printed on my birth certificate. Even before I was in my mother's womb, my identity did not begin when I was born to this earth, but long, long ago, in eternity past, when God knew me before my conception. It's quite a thought, isn't it, that God knew us before we were born. God knows your name. God knows my name. He's always known it. And he will know it into eternity future. Why is that so remarkable? I, I think it's because in this fallen and broken world where, where few people know my name, where few people know your name, where even fewer people know who you really are, your true identity. The God of the universe. The God who created the universe and everything and everyone in it knows your name and everything about you. I think there's comfort in that. It's, it's good to be known. It's even better to be known by God as someone who knows God. Now, you might think, you know, well, Pastor, why are you reflecting on names this week? In the middle of Lent, why are names important? And there's a scripture in Philippians chapter 2 where God gave his son the name that is above every name because he highly exalted him. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, I recall as I think about that, that when I pray for people, before I pray with them, if I don't, know them like I know all of you 
let's say in the hospital, for example, if I don't know their name, if I don't know them personally, I always ask, how do you like to be called? Because just because their name says Charles, maybe that's not what Charles goes by. Maybe he's a Chuck. Maybe he's a Charlie. And so when I lift them up in prayer to God, I want to present them to God by the name that they go by. Not that God doesn't know who it is I'm praying with or for. Of course he does. But names mean something. I want God to hear their name come from my lips and respond to their name because he knows exactly who it is that's there before them. He knows all about them and their struggle. He knows about their sickness. He knows about their pain. He knows their successes. He knows their failures. He knows their needs. He knows their wants and their desires. Let me read that scripture from Philippians 2. I think we'll start there. In Philippians 2, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. And in chapter 2, starting at verse 5, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. In whatever version it is you have, uh, the language should be something like this. Paul writes, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But rather he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does it mean to be Christ-like? See, more and more I'm coming to the realization that being like Christ requires that I be intentional about setting myself aside. Because in my natural state of mind, in my natural state of being, I focus on me. Is that you also? It's not just me. I focus on my wants, my needs. And we have to realize when we do that, that that's not Christ-like behavior. We have to be intentional about our relationships. If I'm intentional about my relationships with others and intentional about modeling myself in Christ's image, then I allow the Holy Spirit to move me in the direction of the cross. It's all about attitude. Am I all about me or do I put the needs of others ahead of my own? And so Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, says, you know what, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, 
If being in a community of the Spirit like this church means anything to you at all, if you have a heart, if you care, Paul says, do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends with one another. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own way, your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to help others. And then he says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. How did Jesus think of himself? Well, he had an equal status with God, Paul says. But he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to those advantages, the advantage of that status no matter what. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of being deity, the privileges of being divine. He didn't give up his divinity, let's be clear, but he set aside the advantages of being deity. And what did he do? He took on the status of a slave, of a human being. And then having become human, he stayed human. He didn't waffle back and forth. He stayed human. It was this humbling process, incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim his special privileges as God. Instead, he lived this selfless, obedient life, and then he died this selfless, obedient death. And not just death, but the worst kind of death, crucifixion. And because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anything or anyone. So that all created beings in heaven, on earth, even those who have gone before long ago, died and buried, everyone will bow and worship before Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of everyone, the master of all, to the glorious honor of God the Father. He gave him the name that is above every name. Why? Because names are important to God. Names mean things. The scriptures contain examples of how God changes people's names after they have this encounter with God. After, after they build relationship with God, God changes their name because they're have been transformed. Their identity has changed. For example, Abram became Abraham, right? Sarai became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. Saul, persecutor of the church, once he found Christ, became Paul, who wrote all these wonderful letters to the church. Simon became Peter. See, when a person in the Bible underwent this transformation because of this life-changing experience, With the living God, God sometimes renamed them to show that they had become a different person, a new creation, and that they now had to be called something new. Now, even if God doesn't rename each of us, the Bible says that he calls each of us by name. That's really an amazing thought when you stop and think about it, that Almighty God, maker of the universe, the one who numbered the stars and spun the planets and moons into orbit, that immense, powerful God knows your name. 
What's more, he doesn't just know your name, but he wants to know you personally. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's calling you, drawing you near to him. And what's more, he's inescapable. There's nowhere you can go where God is not. Why wouldn't you want to have a relationship with someone like that? He not only knows his name, he's always aware of you and your circumstances. David, King David, wrote a psalm. And his psalm is a prayer about this inescapable presence of God. David acknowledges that God knows him. That God knows him by name, individually, uniquely. And When you think about it, prayer in and of itself is this amazing gift that God has given us where we have access to the creator. Direct, no intercessor, no need for the pastor or the priest. You can go direct to God. And so when we pray, our words are not drifting up to a place somewhere in the clouds. Like when you hit enter on the Internet, you wonder where things go. It's not like that. When we pray, our God is there beside us, in front of us, behind us, present with us, fully engaged in the conversation. Listen to David's words. See just how close God is to you. The prayer is called the inescapable God. And it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot contain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. 
They are more than the sand. I come to the end and I am still with you. I had an experience in the hospital the other day. This past Wednesday night, I was with a young wife and mother as she clung to life, and she was surrounded by her family. And in her last moments on earth, as the family gathered around her deathbed, I asked each family member to tell me what their special name for her was. See, her her name is Bonnie, I said to them. But what did each of you call her? And so they were silent for a moment, and then the husband volunteered. I I called her babe. And then the mother replied, "I, I called her my angel. And then one of her four sisters said, well, we all called her sis. Grandfather chimed in, I called her sugar. The off the wall aunt from the back said, I called her Bon Bon. <laughs> Everybody has an aunt like that. Each family member had a name for her. And so when I prayed for her with the family gathered around, I referred to her in that prayer by each of those names. I lifted her up to God by each of the special names that they had for her. And I know that God knew exactly who I was talking to him about with every name that I uttered. And also he knew the relationship that that name represented. Because names are important to God, so much so that he offered to Bonnie there on her deathbed and to each of us as we go through life. He offered to us the one who knows each of us by Name as we choose to abide in and bend a knee to the name that is above every name. He knows us by name. He knows that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows our name because he made us. And when you know Jesus, the name that's above all names, then your name is written on the palms of his hand. hasn't been too long ago in Wednesday night Bible study. We were learning the I am statements of Jesus in the gospel of John. Do you remember that, Cindy? The I am statements we were studying in Bible study? Yes. Yes. One of the I am statements Jesus said is, I am the good shepherd. And in that passage, we see there's a a personal relationship between our Lord Jesus and us. This is from John chapter 10. It's called Jesus, the good shepherd. John writes, very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold 
by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. Jesus said, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. See, Jesus is saying, I know your name. And if you listen, you'll recognize who you truly belong to. I'm the good shepherd who's willing to lay down my life for you. No one takes my life from me. I give it up freely. My blood was not spilt. It was poured out for you. And so I know your name and I took it to the cross with me along with all of your sins. And if you believe on me, I will share my resurrection with you. And your name will be written in the book of life. And I will speak your name to God the Father. And you will be welcome in the kingdom forever. No second death for you. Only life and life abundant. If you take one phrase out of here this morning. Take this one. God knows your name. He does not desire that you should perish in the fires of hell. So he sent Jesus. And if you invite Jesus in, which is something we have to do every day. Then Jesus will know your name as a shepherd knows his sheep. Eventually. Everyone will know the name of Jesus. The name that is above all names and every knee will bow believer and unbeliever saved and unsaved. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The difference is that those that know Jesus now on this side of death are rewarded with eternal life with him. Those that wait, well, they get eternity also. But it's a different eternity. One that you don't want to experience. One that you don't want your loved ones to experience. 
And so here in this third Sunday in Lent, as we reflect inwardly, remember that God knows your name. Spend time with God this week. Examine your relationship with Jesus. Make sure he knows your name because you have a relationship with him. Because names are important to God. Especially yours. And especially our Lord Jesus. Because his is the only name by which we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. God knows your name. In the name of the Father, and the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.